Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to When the Wind Blows. This is an epic podcast for parents, teachers, leaders, anyone vested in the world of education. I am Erin Barnes, host of the show, and today's co-host, David Schaus. You are so much fun, and you are wicked smart. Your your wit is... um, I don't know. I love ch- I love chatting with you. So when uh, I think I don't remember how we decided that you were going to do this episode, but it was like pivot, pivot. We were talking about the friends thing, and yes. uh, I said let's do an episode on pivoting, and you said let's do an episode on pivoting. David, who are you? How long have you been in Epic, and what brought you to Epic? So um, I'm a principal development specialist. And um, beginning my fourth year, I did leave for a couple of months there and retire officially and came back. Um, (laughs) But I came because of of the whole fact that we meet students where they are. Um, Like I was a building principal for numerous years. And, you know, you get a kid that's sitting in a sixth grade class, but it's on a third grade level. It's hard for that teacher to go back and really work with that kid at his or her level because they're trying to teach the rest of the class at sixth grade level. And the same goes for those students who were higher up and working at eighth grade level, et cetera. But I saw something in Epic that just inspired me that said, we're going to meet you where you are. And I believe that. And and we make these great, you know, learning plans for them. And it just gets more and more exciting as I'm here. And, um, and so how, how long have you been in education? This is year 37. Man, I can't wait till I'm at year 37, honestly. Yeah. It's great. There's a lot, boy, a lot of stories I could tell. But. I'm sure. Gosh. And you've seen like 45 different changes to the standards, right? In 37 oh, yes. years. Oh, so many. <laughs> so many changes. Um, okay. Well, so... This year, we are letting formative assessments kind of um, drive what's next, and and it, we're not going to move on until we know that that formative assessment's done. And those formatives, real quick, tell us what a formative assessment is and why it's different than maybe a summative or a cumulative essay. So a formative, you know, we take summative assessments basically at the end of the year, or end of the quarter, or end of unit, whatever. But but formative is kind of as you're forming along the way, you know, and seeing if, if it's working, seeing if what you taught. Um, if the kids are getting that or whatever. And so it's not all at the end of a unit or end of a semester. Um, And yes, I'm excited about the buy-in that I'm seeing this year with the formative assessments. um, And that, and we've got to master those formative assessments. That's a, that's a huge deal too. We can't just give them. We've got to make sure that these kids are mastering them. And if not, that's on us to go back, reteach, reassess all those wonderful things. Exactly. Um, Why, um, so let's say I just taught a lesson on numbers and operations. Uh, the kiddo did the formative and and got a 70. Are we ready to move on or are we going to still kind of spiral there? I mean, a 70 is passing. It's passing, but you know yourself, we've got to build on that and, and scaffold. And if the kid is not getting it, especially in math, then we've got to go back and, and reteach that and make sure that kid, because otherwise that kid's going to just dig deeper and deeper into a hole for himself and really maybe not understand the next concept because of him missing something that's so important in whatever that teacher taught. 
And, and if it didn't work for that kid, you know, there's a hundred different ways to teach it. So we need to go back and make sure that those kids understand. And if they're not passing informative and we've just taught it, something's not right. And I get it. You said, yes, 70, so it's passing. But is that really mastery? So it's a different question. It is. It is a totally different question. Um, in the model, I mean, and, and we're putting a, a large emphasis on those formatives uh, to, to prove mastery. What, uh, what do you say to a teacher who, who's like, man, I don't have time. I'm teaching. I don't have time to do all these formative assessments. Like how, how do you, and, or parents really too, you know, the parents sometimes feel like these formatives, we're just testing, testing, testing. Why are the formatives so important, important enough that we're going to take a busy teacher and make them busier and take a busy parent and make them busier with these things. And I, I you know, there's so many different ways and, and yes, we have master connect and have the formative order, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a master connect formative. It could be, you know, so much so simple as an exit ticket after the teacher taught a lesson. It could be just a small quiz, you know, just anything that lets you know as the teacher, the kid understood the concept and has mastered the standard. So that's, to me, I don't think that's a lot more busy work, but it's some way just how can you assess this, just a brief little small assessment, you know, and that way we know it's not a big summative or a benchmark or anything like that, but we do know before we move on that it's important. Um, my, my own son a couple weeks ago um, is in pre-algebra and um, did not do so well on a test. Uh, and mind you, he's a straight-A student, always has been, whatever, but he really did not get whatever it was at that particular point in that algebra class. Um, and so, I, you know, I talked to the teacher and said, you know, hey, please, I, I don't, I certainly don't want you to re-give him the quiz or anything like that. You know, she had that option, but it's not that about him. I want to make sure you go back and help him understand all those concepts because it's going to be harder for him to move on if he doesn't. So he would be upset with me for thinking that's on podcast, but that's all right. I know. Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm so I remember my, my daughter for seventh grade decided to go to the brick and mortar up the street and listeners, I apologize. You already know this, but I'm just telling this story to David. Um, she was not doing great at science. Like she, she was a B student and everything else, but science, she had an F and we've never, <laughs> we, I, she has never had an F in science. As a matter of fact, it was her favorite subject before going there. And so, um, I just remember like going up there to talk with a science teacher who's, I mean, literally, uh, you know, we all hit a point you, you, you didn't hit that point. You still look great. Um, he's probably got 10 years on you and you decided to retire. He's not there yet. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he just was a very set in his way kind of guy. And I was like, listen, my Tate to prove mastery, she's, um, given lectures, she's done presentations. She, you know, can have a conversation with you, but what, whatever this is that's happening, it's, and he was just like, well, that's that's the way I do it. And I just remember thinking, gosh, I've probably semi-ruined her to um, regular schooling because I've allowed for all these different ways to show what she knows. Um, I, I don't believe I ruined her, and she's back um, in Epic, her choice, not mine. Um, but there, there are plenty of ways to show what you know, and I don't know why we can't accept them Um you know, even 
even for my job now, uh, I show what I know through the podcast. I show what I know by going live on Fridays. I write essays. I, you know, am constantly doing what I do in, in different ways. And so I don't know why um, I'm not filling out an ABCD test for my boss at the end of each week, you know, because that's the way this guy, you know, anyway, that's right. horrible. I'm not really saying that teacher is awful. He he could be great. Just it wasn't the way that my kiddo needed it to be. Mm-hmm. And and that happened so much. I told you this story before, but I, I had a teacher once in a, in a middle school math class again, and and just so many D's and F's. D's and F's were all that I'm seeing on these report cards. And when I approached him, and mind you, this was 25 years ago, you know, when the teacher was always right. And yes. We taught it. And um, his reasoning to me was, I taught it. They should have listened. They should have gotten it. They just didn't do it. And I'm like, no, God, we, we can't. You can't send these kids on to the next grade level with D's and F's, um, and they don't understand the concept yet. We've got to come up with something to go back. You know, and I'm just inferring and drawing my own conclusions here, but a couple of years back, um, and it was while I was going through grad school, but uh, we we did this report. I had a friend who worked for Tulsa Community College, Mm -hmm. and um, basically I wanted to try to find out how many zero-level classes must be taken for the average high school student before they're ready to take those, you know, those courses that are the required courses. And, and she gave me a pie chart that basically for writing, kids were two zero level courses below comp. You know what I'm saying? In reading, it was one zero level course to be able to stay on track. In, if you're going in that English um, uh, identified major, and in math, it was two zero level classes. This is money you must pay to go to school to get zero credit for it. And mm-hmm. um, you know, you're like, well, how does this connect, man? If we were given these small formative assessments all the right. way through, mm-hmm. how many kids would be lost? that they'd have to take two zero-level classes. So mm-hmm. uh, it makes a big difference. It makes so a huge difference. We're about to get into uh, teachers are wrapping up these benchmarks, these summatives, these big you know uh, uh, benchmarks to kind of see where kids are at right now. And, and again, part of the reason for this is that we like to use that word pivot. You know, mm-hmm. we, we have been in school for a couple of weeks. We've taken the benchmarks. What next? Why do we pivot? What does pivoting look like at Epic? So pivot then, again, is like when I came here, we're going to meet the needs of that student. And we may have been doing something for this last three weeks of school, four weeks of school. Um, But now we have these benchmarks. And some of these kids, we also have last year's state test results. They may look very much the same. They may look completely opposite. So it's time now for those teachers to sit down with those families and say, look, this is where your child needs to be. Um, they have some great resources. With the, the reports in STAR this year align perfectly with Oklahoma State standards. There's so many good ways to help them write these, what we call PLPs. There are certain grade level standards that they really need to go back and work on to make sure these students are successful with them, power standards, we want to call them. But um, anyway, so that these kids are ready to move on. I just think that that's important. And it may be a complete pivot. The teacher may have given that benchmark and realized, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize this kid 
didn't know all this or that they knew all this and then we can go on and move to something else and move that kid on. So those pivots are going to take place now and they're going to continue to take place throughout the formatives and then the next benchmark, et cetera. So it's, it's always time to pivot. I think if, if something's not working um, or if we've gone the wrong way, then it's, it's a pivot time. We've got to give it a little bit of time to see if whatever that instructional planning is that we're doing is working. But right now, we just got a whole lot of new information on these kids. For sure. It's important that we use that. What What is a good length of time to give a plan before you realize it's not working? I mean, I know that that's pretty broad, depends on the kid. But, like, how long do you try to give a plan uh, or, you know, before you do that pivot? See, and, and that's, that's really hard. You know, I can't answer that question. <laughs> um, but it's just... The teacher will know and the family will know that it's not working and if they're not meeting the standards or if we're doing some sort of takeaway, what did you learn, all these kinds of things. If that's not working for that student, then it's time to pivot. And it, it could be, I don't know, it could be from a week, it could be two months. You just, you know, there's really, like you said, it's individualized with each and every kid. Um, but, but we'll know via making sure that we're, we're looking at those formatives um, or giving some sort of formatives our own, um, direct instruction with those kids. I mean, that's just, it opens our eyes to whatever those those children are getting or not getting. So that pivot could come at any time. Do you think uh, we could pivot our way out of learning gains? And I, maybe I'll, I'll uh, come and, and try to reframe, but like, um, my kiddo, gosh, is just the pre-algebra, just not getting it. We've changed to a different core. We've gone to uh, using YouTube videos. Let's, that's not working. You know, let's, let's change to Khan Academy. Um, mm-hmm. At a certain point, how many pivots is too many that we're academically setting a kid back? Because so they didn't get it. They're getting a 60. They're getting a 50. They're getting a 40. We're, we have to go back to the beginning you know, but how how long, how far into the semester before you say, you know what, maybe let's let's redo seventh grade math again. Is that acceptable? Is that something you can do? Or are you relying on other things to to bring that along? I mean, I, I'm thinking a couple of years ago, we, we tried the core curriculum, Play-Doh, with my kiddo. And then a uh, friend was using Saxon, and so we tried that. And then there were YouTube videos that went with Saxon, and Saxon was just way too many questions, so we switched to teaching textbooks before we landed at Khan Academy. Well, it was December, and she was starting the school year from scratch because it just wasn't working. And we did find that Khan Academy ended up working, and that's where we're, we stuck. But um, is December too late to be starting that grade-level content? Well, see, another tough question. It's just so individual. Um, when I used to teach sixth grade math, and, and one of my favorite kids one day, I, we, I explained this lesson, it was great, whatever, I remember what it was now, and he said, um, ask out Lena, raise the hand class, and says, hey, can I show you how I did it? You know, and came up and worked this problem on the board, and it was com- completely different than any method I had seen or, or anything like that, but that's what clicked for him. Yeah. I said, I don't care. As long as you get the right answer, and if that's how your brain sees it, and that's how you're coming up with it, then you go for it like that. So I don't I really want to say a time limit on anything, but just we'll know, you'll know if, if it's working or not working for that kid. And then adding those on, those are luxuries, Khan Academy 
Saxon and trying to all those kinds of things, but we're still working with making sure we're we're working on those standards that Oklahoma requires and for those kids to be able to do well in the next grade in future years. Yeah. And for us it, it did take we went through the summer that year because we did get the late start and we just said, you know what? Grace and no punitive damages here. We're just gonna keep going with math, you know? Mm-hmm. Um because uh I think that was fourth or fifth grade when we lost all those those uh, all that ground by pivoting, 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 mm-hmm. you know, but now she's a ninth grader and she's got her, her B in math and, and is loving life. So, um, mm-hmm. I think if you don't set that foundation, especially in a math, especially in a science, if you don't get those mm-hmm. foundational things, you will be using tutoring. You will be using the teacher. You're going to log into homework help way more often because you don't know the foundations mm-hmm. before you moved right. on. And those are, to me, they're add-ons, not necessarily a pivot but you know just a supplement to to help but still working with that corporate home working with those standards yeah for sure i i saw a youtube video um the other day uh it was i think the the changing role of the teacher and why formatives are so um important and the whole thing was talking about and it's a topic i'm going to have on this podcast soon i need to find an expert but um nano learning and how we we are taking um, learning and bringing it into bite-sized parts. And so even um, Edgenuity, that's what the curriculum both of my kids are in. It's got uh, the warm-up. It's got an assignment. It's got a, a short quiz. It's not calling it a quiz um, because it's not a real grade. But for them, it's their way to see, okay, I took notes. Am I going to do well enough? And it'll say yes or no. And then it'll give you another piece of assignment. And Basically, they, they can do all of that in a couple of days, and, and then they move on to the next unit. But the, the nano-learning um, informative assessment piece that they were using was, I'm going to teach one skill today. And it, it, it's just one, and we're going to practice the mess out of it. And then we're going to stop, and we'll move on. And so she, she took one lesson and broke it into three or four parts for the day, but focused on this, we did 10 questions. Here's the next piece of that lesson, 10 or 12 questions. And and then she gave the, the exit ticket at the end. Do you think nano learning is, is and this is, you know, not fair because it's not on the questions that I provided you, so I apologize. But do you think nano learning is coming around or taking these smaller bite-sized pieces? Is this something, is this the next thing in, in education? It could be. I mean, the kids, you know, we chunked before, we caught all these different terms. Um, and if that's what works, and, and to me it sounds, you know, like a pretty good philosophy there. You're teaching, you're teaching the one thing um, and before you move on. And that we do that back in, in literacy when you're just learning how to read. We go over and over that skill and we talk about literacy first. We'll tell you, you know, hey, three weeks on one skill, a child should master it. So if we're going to break those into those little pieces, um, maybe that will work for kids. Perhaps that's something that we'll all be reading more about or watching a YouTube video about. So what, um, in, in your head, what are some of the ways we could give formative assessments? How, how are formative stuff? What are some examples? Um, like we talked about the, the exit ticket could be a, a teacher created little quiz could be, you know, as simple as draw me a picture of, you know, what this, what this meant to you today as we were doing this. Um, it could be a couple of problems in the math lesson that you just taught, just so that you can make sure that we understand. I mean, we did, I did 
and I'm sure you did too, those whiteboards, you know, each of my kids had a little whiteboard. And that was amazing for me when we started using those because I could spot check around the room and know exactly what kids were getting it and that I needed to go back and redo. Um, so those are assessments. I mean, even old, you know, we used to have them run on the board, you know, just to check, are they, are they there? So there's so many different kinds of, it could be a paragraph. Um, there's so many just different ways to check for understanding. Um, and we don't, they don't have to be long, lengthy, drawn out pieces by no means, but just to simply check for what you taught that day or what you worked on that week so that the kids are working toward building mastery. Uh, I saw a gal who was teaching science, um, and at the like five minutes left in class, uh, she would say, "All right, everybody, it's brain dump time." And and what the kids would do, and she obviously, you know, got them to to think like this, but um, they would write down everything they learned that day in that class. And and that was her formative assessment. And she would go through and she'd read them and say, okay, I feel like, and it could be tricky because the kid could not be a great writer, you know, but um, I think that that was an awesome way to do like a one minute paper, a three minute paper on everything you learned today. Um, I just thought that was pretty cool. That is a good, that's great. And all those are just great ideas. They're very simple. They're easy and it lets us see what the kids understood and what they don't. So if you were to go back and do it again, okay, you're, you're in the classroom, you're a year one, year two teacher, um, how are you breaking up your day? What's, what's, what's your day look like and how often are you giving those formatives? Um, Knowing now, which you didn't know maybe know then. Now. You know, back when I first started, <clears throat> those test scores and assessments and all that meant nothing. We just handed, it, handed them to the parents or mailed them to the parents, et cetera. They were really no big deal. And we certainly didn't use them to teach. We taught, I taught 11th grade literature, taught 9th grade foreigners, English grammar, you know, whatever. It certainly wasn't based on where the kids were or whatever, but... Now, just just looking at data, in my last years in, in brick and mortar, we did that. We had data teams every Monday, and we met and discussed data, and, and it's amazing because even then, and that's just been six, seven years ago, we would have these principals come from all these other schools or whatever to our school, our data teams on Monday, just to see what we did. Well, we talked about the data. We talked about where the students were, we talk, and some of that data wasn't study island or acts or like that. It was a unit test. It was a writing assignment. It was, you know, things that the, that the teacher had done separately that wasn't certainly a computerized assessment. Um, and how did we make those go? So, so that would be the, the last few years I really got to do that and be an instructional leader because um, we really shifted to that, to that data piece. Um, and it's been great. So um, if I had all to do over again, wow, that would have been a long time ago, but it would certainly be um, looking at that data because we were just, we just moved on in those days, whatever was next in the curriculum, you just moved on. And mm. I'm glad those times have changed. No doubt. Uh, well, David, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I feel like I'm going to, th- I'll probably throw the link in like a YouTube link of the, the episode of friends, just so people can hear the word pivot five more times. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I appreciate you. I, I want to have you back. Uh, 
for for those of you that don't know, David actually recorded this episode what two months ago, but I wiped the the computer somehow and we're re-recording. But I think that this conversation was a little bit better. Uh, so yeah, thank you for uh, being here. Thank you. I love your enthusiasm. I love this, and I'm excited to get to be here and just chat with you for a little bit. Ah. Uh, well, that is all the time we have for today. Tune in next week where we are rethinking how education and leadership can better prepare the next generation for a rapidly evolving world.